Well, good morning. I would um, invite you to take out your um, service um, insert, and if you would, turn to page 5. We had an option that we could do James 5, verses 7 through 12, or we can do it all the way to the the end of verse uh, 20. I'd like us to finish the rest of this passage out because it kind of dovetails into some of the things that we're going to be talking about. Is it, starting in verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him, let him pray. If anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As you could probably figure out, there is a theme that's running through all of our readings this morning. This morning is the third Sunday of Advent, and as you know, we use dark blue during the Advent season, but the third Sunday of Advent, as well as the third Sunday of Lent, can be Rose Sunday. And we have rose stoles as well as rose hangings, and, uh, but we have chose this morning to, to stay in dark blue, but if you look at the uh, the, the Christmas wreath, or Advent wreath, excuse me, you'll see that there is a pink candle. And one of the reasons that pink is sometimes used during these Sundays is, is because we are in a time of preparation. We're in a time of acknowledging darkness that we find in our world and our own lives. And we are in a fasting time as we're preparing to celebrate. Um, and in this case, during Advent, we are fasting and preparing so that we could celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ on Christmas. So rose is basically a little bit, it's, it's a reminder that hope is on the way and hope is here with us. Each week we talk about the themes of Advent and this morning Advent calls us to grow up. Is anyone offended by that? I think we all um, need to uh, be reminded that we need to grow up. Why? Because it teaches us delayed gratification. What happens to children, and not just children, but adults as well, when they have to delay their gratification? They often pitch a fit. It isn't a pretty sight when I am at Walmart and I fall to the ground because Dawn tells me I can't have something. (laughs) And I scream, and, and my legs are kicking, and I'm weeping, all because I can't have what I want when I want it. How about you? What are the ways that you pitch a fit? Advent calls us to grow up. 
As we talked about last week, Isaiah is one of the major prophets. Tradition associates this book with the prophet Isaiah who lived in Jerusalem at the end of the 8th century before Jesus. The prophecy addresses three distinct communities. Chapters 1 through 39 speak to those threatened by the Assyrians in the the 8th and the 7th centuries. Chapters 40 through 55 speak of those deported by the Babylonians in the 6th century. And chapters 56 through 66 speak of of those restored to Jerusalem by the Persians in the 5th century. So the book was possibly compiled and edited by scribes over the centuries and completed after Isaiah's death. We don't know that for sure, but that's what many scholars uh, seem to think is what happened. Prophecy was primarily a spoken event, and that is speaking forth the word of God. So it was often left to the prophet's disciples to collect and preserve the teachings of the me- the, message, the messages. And because God's people departed from their covenant relationship with him, God disciplined him because he loves them so dearly. And we talk about those themes often when we look at uh, many of these types of passages in the Old Testament because there's this continual cycle that happens, not just in the Old Testament, but the New as well. And the purpose of the discipline was because God loved them and it was his desire to see his people who have are walking in sin, walked out of covenant relationship with him, to drop to their knees, to cry out for God's help so that revival and renewal can happen in their lives as well as in the lives of the community of, of God. But the book is more than just about discipline and judgment. It has words of hope and life. As we talked about last week, as we looked at Isaiah uh, chapter 11, the long-awaited Messiah arrives as a shoot, a tiny, tender, green sprout. Even in her most broken, battered, and what seemed to be a dead stump of landless nation, even though it might be tiny, there is a shoot of hope that's coming through. This tender green sprout, no, I'm not getting ready to re-preach last week's sermon, but I'm just reminding you, is a sign of new beginnings. And in our dryness and deadness, there is hope. And that's what this Sunday reminds us of. And this brings us to our Old Testament reading this morning and again from Isaiah. So during rumors of war and desolation, Isaiah chapter 35 surprises us. It is surrounded before and after with destruction. In, 30, uh, in chapter 34, the, uh, the, the verses that we're preceding our reading this morning, it says, The streams of Eden will be filled with burning pitch and the ground will be covered with fire. This judgment on Eden will never end. The smoke of its burning will rise forever. The land will lie uh, deserted from generation to generation. No one will live there anymore. Thorns will, will overrun its palaces. Nettles and thistles will grow in its forts. Then, without a break and without explanation, Isaiah chapter 35 interrupts this darkness, devastation, in despair. In verse 1 it says, even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. 
Now, some scholars say this hopeful promise belongs later in the book of Isaiah. In other words, it comes too early. The question this morning is, who moved it? Why was it placed there? Well, because we are people who believe in the authority of God's Word and that the Holy Spirit breathed and inspired through people to write these words down for us, and this is what we consider as God's Word, the canon, um, we have to believe and we know that the Spirit of God hovered over the scribes and said, put it here before anyone's ready for it. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the devastation, in the midst of the pain, put these words of hope right here. Interrupt the narrative. So here it is, a word that couldn't wait until it made more sense. Isaiah dares to speak a word out of place. A word that refused to wait until things improved. We see and we hear the devastation every day in our news feed. Add to that the despair of our own lives, waiting for the test results from the doctor, mourning the death of a loved one, wondering if we'll make it through the next round of layoffs, struggling with depression and pain. Everyone around us, the people we share the grocery store line with, pass in traffic. Let me say that again. Just remember what I said, pass in traffic. Sit next to at work, encounter on social media, and see across the kitchen table. We're all experiencing the collateral damage of living. We are all grieving someone, missing someone, worried about someone. Maybe our marriages are crumbling, or our mortgage payment is late, or we just received the test results from our child's spouses, friends, parents, tests, tests. Or we are still pushing back tears because the loss that we feel. Every single human being we pass by is fighting to find peace and to push back tears and fear. To get through their daily task without breaking down in the carpool lane or at the post office or worshiping with us at church. Wounded, exhausted, Pain-damaged people are everywhere, every day, stumbling all around us. And yet, most of the time, we're fairly oblivious to them. Parents whose children are terminally ill, couples in the middle of divorce, people grieving loss of loved ones in relationships, kids being bullied at school, teenagers who want to end their lives, people marking the anniversary of a death, parents worried about their depressed teenagers, spouses whose partners are deployed in combat, families with no idea how to keep the lights on, single parents with little help and little sleep, and by the way, even parents who have a spouse still have little sleep, and sometimes they feel like they don't have a lot of help. Isn't that true? And the list, once again, is endless. Everyone is grieving and worried and fearful, and yet none of them wear the signs. None of them have labels And none of them come with written warning signs saying, I'm struggling, please be kind to me. Think about that. Think about us when we're in that situation. We would like to wear that sign, just just please be kind to me. Think about everyone else that we encounter that's going through the same things. They're not wearing a sign. 
They're not wearing something across their forehead. Now, maybe in the spirit, the Holy Spirit might reveal something to us about what they're walking through so that we can speak a word of hope before it's time. We know this storyline all too well, and we long for a word of hope out of place. Who will speak a word out of place? I encourage all of us to refuse to wait until the time is right and everyone is on our side. Don't give up. Hope is here now. Help is on the way. And that's that struggle that we find ourselves in Advent as we remember the coming of Jesus Christ and the incarnation where he left heaven and and, and came through Mary and and was, was hovered over by the Holy Spirit who impregnated her to give birth to Jesus who was sinless and who lived and showed us the way. And, um, and he died on the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven. And he is our king. And yet we're reminded and we look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he will come again and bring the completion of his kingdom. And yet we also find ourselves in between the now but not yet. Where Christ continues to come and meet us. Meet us in one another. Meet us in the sacraments. Who? will speak a word of hope even when it's out of place. The word that stands out in Isaiah 35 is singing. There is singing at the beginning, singing at the end, and singing at the center. The reason for singing is clear. The Holy Land, which has been subjected to repeated attacks and as a result became a wasteland, now blossoms. What had been barren and windswept wilderness becomes a land that's filled with life. Listen to a few verses in chapter 35. Then such healing, such repair. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be clear. The lame will leap like deer excited. They will run and jump tirelessly and gracefully. The stutter, the stammer, and the tongue of the mute will sing out in clear and joyful song. Better yet, bodies are restored. And it continues on and says, Then such healing, such repair. The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be clear. The lame will leap like deer excited. They will run and jump tirelessly and gracefully. All of the disorders that mar the image of God in each one of us are cured. People return. The long separation between the people of God and the place of God is over. A way is created for the exiles to return home to God. Hope. May I get a little personal for a moment? Have we lost faith in God? Do we suspect that He isn't really doing anything in our life and that He has lost interest in us? Now, some of us are quick to say, Oh, no, I don't think that. I know God's always there because we know proper theology. But I'm speaking sometimes not about proper theology, but some of the things that we, we wrestle with in our heart. Do we think that our boss or our parents or our children control our destiny and that God has little or nothing to do with it? Do we feel it is hard to identify any light in the midst of our darkness? Well, even John the Baptist in our gospel this morning questioned Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now, you might be thinking like me, but wasn't he the one in the beginning of John when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now he questions and he says, 
Are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? Jesus speaks in our gospel reading in verse 5 and speaks of his mission in one of the clearest statements in the gospels. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus didn't come to gain earthly power. He came among the people to serve them, bringing life. Instead of casting away those persons who are at the margins of society, persons that many would want to send away and out of sight, it is precisely these people that the Messiah has come to restore and to save. The season of Advent interrupts into the history of the world and especially into our li- the lives of Christians. The mood, the hymns, the prayers of this season seek to open us up to new ways of thinking and acting. It is a time of expectation. It is a time of waiting for the coming of the Savior into the world. And what happens when He comes? He comes among us in His Word and through the Holy Spirit to stir us up to get involved by being the hands and the feet of Jesus among those who are left out on the margins of society and who are in great need. In Isaiah 35, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah says, Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. What are the dry places and wastelands and wildernesses in our own lives? What are the dry places and wastelands and wildernesses in Long Beach? Our city needs to experience the springs that will gush forth and streams that will satisfy the thirsty. May it flow into this place and through this place, out of our churches, into the streets of Long Beach. Do we see God at work? Don't feel bad if you don't. Because John the Baptist, whom Jesus referred to as the greatest man on earth, he didn't either. Yet he still needed to be reminded. And if he did, how much more do we? I don't know about you, but with a lot of theological education and with a very strong faith, I go through periods just like you. When I'm going through and I'm struggling with grief, my heart is heavy and it gets cloudy. And I, I, I try to remember the things I've preached and the things I believe, the things that I know. And then God raises up people like you to come remind your priest the truth of God's word. Because I'm clouded. We all get clouded and we all need to be reminded. John the Baptist was clouded. He had a cloudy mind. Now that's my interpretation. You understand that? He must have been, Right? For him to wonder that he recognized Jesus who was coming to be the one who was coming to take away the sins of the world. And then he was wondering, well, is he really the Christ? He needed to be reminded like all of us. As James reminds us this morning in our second reading, dear brothers, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. We've been waiting since the time that the canon was being written the early disciples of the early church 
during the time in which we were reading, they believed that Jesus was going to return again, even in their lifetime, and we've been waiting for 2,000 years. And yet we still say, come Lord Jesus. We look for that time. We prepare ourselves for that time. We live today as if Jesus is going to return today. The God who Isaiah saw is the same God who has revealed himself in Jesus. The God who has centered, healed, and redeemed the lives of so many people. This same God will come to save you and me. And that should put a song in all of our hearts. Who will speak a word out of place? Maybe even before it's time. A prophet who couldn't wait until the hopeful part of Isaiah in chapters 40 through 55. Because that would have been the proper place, it seems, that these words in chapter 35 would fit better. But that's not where we find them. We find them surrounded in pain, darkness, and devastation and despair. He spoke a word out of place. This is exactly the word many people are yearning to hear, a word of hope and life during times of despair and isolation and devastation and depression and discouragement and on and on. Streams and springs gushing forth and people made right. God is coming to make all things new. And you know what? We get the privilege to be part of that mission. Oh, come now, living water. Pour your grace and bring new life to every withered place. Speak comfort to each trembling heart. Be strong. Fear not, for I will never depart. Rejoice. Rejoice. Take heart and do not fear. God's chosen one, Emmanuel, draws near. I encourage you to bow your head with me. Holy Spirit, may we not be just good hearers this morning. We want to hear what you're saying to us and we want to respond appropriately. Convict us of sin. Speak words of life and hope. And may we obey. And we pray all this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.